Hi, and welcome to Matt Holman Talks Mental Health, the podcast where I have the opportunity to sit down and talk to amazing humans about their journey with mental health. For this episode, I'm so happy to introduce Sarah Adlam to the conversation. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Hi, lovely to see you. Um, as I always do, just brief introduction, how I know Sarah, and then I'll let Sarah, you can do the full introduction to who you are and what you do. Um, but Sarah and I met last year during lockdown in a virtual training room for mental health first aid. And uh, Sarah was one of the, the delegates that was participating in one of the first uh, online virtual mental health first aid training sessions that I had the, the, uh, the privilege and the pleasure to deliver. Um, stood out and was a wonderful delegate, of course, as everybody who comes on those trainings is um, a great delegate. So it was lovely to stay in touch. The podcast recordings were coming around. I was talking to people who have got wonderful stories and experiences, and Sarah's one of those. So um, I'm so looking forward to just getting into a conversation with you, Sarah, about your journey. So I'll pass it over to you. Please tell people who you are and, uh, and what you do. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm Sarah Adlam. I uh, am the manager of two Virgin Actives. Uh, I live in West London and I've spent most of the last year on furlough, <clears throat> hence why I had the opportunity to, to go on your course, um, which was which actually self-funded. It was something I did out of my own interest um, to help support a family member, well, my dad specifically, um, but also to kind of aid my leadership at work and be able to work better with, with my employees, et cetera, coming out of furlough. Um, you know, with, with the, particularly then, I don't think I was that aware of how, how long it was going to be. And yeah. um, you could see immediately the anxiety. It really hit me uh, when we went into lockdown. I was, I was terribly anxious for, for a good couple of weeks over what was coming. And it was something that I felt I really needed to, to help my team and, and my family members through. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, that's kind of who I am and, and why I took an interest into mental health or more specifically, it kind of catapulted my interest in helping people experiencing poor mental health, really. Brilliant. And you're a great advocate to it. And I know you're supporting lots of people and, and from a personal perspective as well. So, um, so well done. You keep going with that journey as well. It's, an, it's, a, it's a journey. It doesn't have a destination, of course, just keep learning and supporting people. The big question then. So let's go through a little bit more about who you are, who Sarah is. Um, your journey with mental health. Now, you define what that means to you, but tell us a story. Tell us and share with us a little bit about who you are and what you what you've been through or your experiences. Um. Yeah, so I mean, that's a long story to, to tell Let's you. Let's go for it. Let's go I'll for it. i try and keep it short. Um, I think back when I was a teenager, there wasn't a, there wasn't much awareness on mental health whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I think I've always struggled with anxiety. I, actually, I wouldn't say struggled with anxiety. I think anxiety is a part of who I am. Um, okay. You know, if you don't mind what we've shared before, you know, whether, whether you've, you've got to do something continuously, you know, I always need to be awake, I always need to be working um, and doing something. And I've got that natural, it's kind of, I call it my get up and go, because okay. that's what drives me every day, you know, to quash the anxiety is get things done. So that's, that's always been a big part of me. Yeah. Um, my mum would say she worries about worrying, or, or she'd worry that she doesn't have anything to worry about. Um, and that's how she kind of sees my anxiety as wow. I'm a worrier. You know, is something going to go wrong? I'll make it go right. Um, right, which, which I don't mind, and I think I would, I would actually miss that part of my personality if, yep. if it was quashed. 
I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's, it's part of who I am. So yep. um, I guess some people would really could become quite overwhelmed. Um, and there's been experiences in the past where I have been overwhelmed. Um, but whether that's just being overworked or taking too much on um, and having to know to take, and I'm quite good at that, where I think, right, actually now I need to take some rest or, uh, you know, I go on holiday as often as I can because my idea of utopia is lying on a beach. So that's the, and then I turn my phone off and I have no contact with the world. I think, I think yeah. I saw you did that at one point, you, you know, you cut off all social media, etc. Yeah. yeah. That one holiday is a, is a big thing for me. Um, and I don't feel anxious about that. That's my kind of reward for what I work for. Yep. Uh, um, I guess I most uh, became aware of mental health. Um, I think everything actually going back when when I was first going into I worked for um, a council run leisure centre, and there was very limited awareness. Um, everything was kind of channeled into stress, and I think doctors might do that quite often if someone presents uh, being depressed or anxious they'd be signed off with stress and it became quite a negative connotation you know to say that that person's off with stress um, and that's kind of how that was my first kind of experience of mental health and actually understanding actually why are they off work what what is the underlying issue yeah. um, and trying to get an understanding of that but without any kind of education, it was quite hard to have those conversations. But I've always tried to um, get an understanding for the people that I'm working with or are working for me um, to encourage good mental health really. But until I went on your course, I, that was when I had a good awareness of how to approach those conversations, you know? Yeah. Um, but more specifically, 10 years ago, my, my dad had a stroke um, and he spent two years in a, coma wow. uh, well he was in and out of a coma the first year and the second year um he was kind of heavily sedated there was a lot of pressure on his brain and it was um, trying to remove the pressure yeah um at this i mean my dad was a karate sensei so he he'd gone and he was 45 at the time wow. yeah the karate sensei had a stroke um and my stepmom left him in the hospital so she, she said she didn't, she didn't want to, she knew he was going to be disabled and that's not what she signed up to. Um, and so, yeah, that's the conversation that we had 10 wow. years ago. Um, at which point I was the next of kin and I was the eldest daughter. And I kind of felt as if all that responsibility had been passed on to me, Yeah. which I was happy to do, you know, it was, it was my dad. Um, so I supported him through, through a couple of years of that and nearly lost my job because I had to take quite a bit of time off. Um, but the doctor that I spoke to when I, you know, explained what I was going through, because I did feel really unwell going into work, knowing that my dad was in hospital. I really struggled with that. Yeah. Um, just to, to not be at my phone and know that he hasn't, you know, if he's woken up, I, I needed to have my phone with me constantly in case someone called. And he was in hospital in Oxford. So um, I, I think there was someone said, and it was a comment and it was quite underhand, but it was, why can't they put her dad in a wheelchair and be done with it? Um, so wow. I, went, I went to the doctor and I said, look, you know, I've, I've got to focus on my dad, but 
I've got to go to work and I can't do both things. And she, well, this is quite, quite funny. She actually, she signed me off with stress oh, right, at the okay. time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe I was stressed. I don't, yeah. I think I was very anxious um, and, you know, really wanted to be there to support my dad. Yep. Um, and then uh, when, when he did come round, uh, obviously there was the having to deal with his loss of mobility. So he's paralyzed. Um, loss of a job, loss of his wife. Yeah. Um, and then also it became pretty obvious that his brain wasn't functioning in the same, in quite the same way. Um, you know, you could have a conversation with him, but he'll have a completely different conversation. Um, and you know, he might ask you a question, but he won't listen to the answer. Sure. Um, so yeah, there was different things like that. For a couple of years, he was in hospital in, in, in a rehab facility. Um, and then fortunately he, he got a flat, um, which isn't local to me, which was quite frustrating because I still do the, the commute quite often, but, um, yeah. So then he, he started to present with uh, psychosis. So I, I really struggled at that point because the, I think for the whole family, it was great. He's out, he's learning to walk. Yeah. He can walk a couple hundred meters now. Um, mostly he's in the wheelchair, but he, you know, he can make a cup of tea by himself. So all these things were like great bits of progress from the fact that he'd been in a coma and we thought we were going to lose him. So yeah. right now he's self-sufficient to, to, he started to really suffer with psychosis. Um, and his, his experience, so that he wouldn't, he wouldn't mind me sharing is he feels that the government are coming to get him okay. or, uh, police and wherever he looks out the window or whatever there's a police car there even though it's an ordinary car and I, f I found it really and and I definitely dealt with it completely the wrong way and I will put, could, put my hands up for that but I had absolutely no training or experience with this yeah sure. um, and I was really angry um, so he he tried to attempt suicide and he um, he slit his throat and then did press-ups to try and speed up the process. Right, okay. Um, and the reason he did that is because he thought people were coming to murder him and he wanted to win. So that was, you know, it wasn't depression, it was just complete psychosis yeah. that he wanted to kill himself first before someone else could win. And I think that came from, it was quite a winner and mentality of karate and I'm the strongest and no one sure, will kill yeah. me. I'll kill myself before you, you can. Um, but yeah, so I was really angry because my younger brother found him, um, called the ambulance. Um, so that, you know, I think we can't account for the trauma that my younger brother went through. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and I was really angry. We had, a, we had a new baby on the way in the family and I just felt that he was being very selfish, you know, because we'd come so far to help get him into his house, to get him self-sufficient. And I just yeah. didn't understand the psychosis. I just thought he was saying, I've had enough of, of life. You know, I don't want to be here anymore. And, and yeah, and I really, really struggled with that. Um, and so then uh, once he was hospitalized, that helped somewhat because it would get to the point where he would try and involve me in in the psychosis so he would think i was his lawyer right, so okay. he wouldn't 
he wouldn't talk to me as his daughter. He would say, right, you're the lawyer. I need you to take notes of what they're doing in this hospital. And so I said to the nurse, you know, what do I do? Do I go along with it? She yeah. was like, no, absolutely no way. You know, you just try to understand, listen to him and keep reminding him of who you are. But if you did, if you did anything that contradicted his scenario, you challenged anything he was saying, it was, you know, it was very violent. Yeah. To, you'd be sedated, we'd have to lock the doors, you know, I'd be asked. It got to the point where the nurses couldn't handle him. They would call me to come in to try and calm him down, which was yeah. really, really sad. Um, the worst experience was he kept his hand on the, the buzzer because he thought something was coming through the light. So he kept his hand on this buzzer, um, which was the emergency alarm. So he refused to remove his hand from the emergency alarm. So this whole hospital has got, got flashing blue lights That's coming out to say there's an emergency in this room. And I'm there trying to encourage him to take, take your hand off. Yeah. <laughs> I said, um, uh, uh, and he's right, you cover the light switches. And so I said, right, I'll cover the light switches if you take your hand off that. <laughs> it was like this sound like negotiation going on to, yeah. to just stop the emergency alarm. But at that point, the nurses were threatening to to throw him out of the hospital because they just said we can't look after everyone. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a quite a roller coaster with him because then he comes back and he's absolutely fantastic and he'll say, "I'm so sorry," you know, I was in he and he'll say it. He he's very detrimental about himself, but he'll say, "I, I was in cloud cuckoo land. I won't go there again. I'm so sorry." Yeah. Um, but another thing that I didn't realise, and I think it was highlighted by the course that I went on, was he used to drink. So he got put on all this medication for psychosis, but he would always sneak a little beer. Um, and I guess I was an enabler at that point because my aunt, who is the, the sister, so she's the other kind of next carer. Yeah. Um, she, she would say, right, he's not drinking. If, if I find out he's been drinking, you know, I'm not going to do his shopping anymore. Yeah. Yep. she'll say things like that and then my dad would say come on set you know how great will it be <laughs> to go to the pub take me in my wheelchair and I didn't realize that I was doing any harm no I didn't realize that it was impacting these medicines and how bad it was actually and no one had told me my aunt I thought my aunt was coming from the point of view that she's a non-drinker right okay and yep I was coming from the point of view that well, he's very lonely. He spends much of his time on his own. He's not drinking at home. He wants to go out for one beer. I'll take him out for one beer. If that's making him happy and giving him a bit of a quality of life that he enjoys, and he always used to enjoy a beer, even when he was a karate instructor. Yep. It was one of his you know, definite weaknesses. So I thought it, it was absolutely harmless. But to realize then that I was enabling this addiction, and then it got to the point where he was sneaking off. He has a, a scooter. So he's sneaking off to go and, to go and get his own beer, um, which I didn't know about. So <laughs> it was quite sneaky, actually. Um, but yeah, so that then triggered another bout of um, of psychosis, which meant he ended up back in hospital again. Um, but yeah, so it, again, it was exactly the same scenario. He tried to kill himself again. My brother found him. Um, but it's, it's just scary that it's not a cry for help when it happens. It is, uh, you know, he's not trying to reach out to anybody. It's, uh, I need to die quickly. And we've just been very fortunate 
that my little brother spends so much time there yeah that he he's been in and out at around about the time we found him you know so really lucky in that sense yeah. but he has no no awareness of, of what he's like why he's doing it he just thinks he has to, to kill himself before someone else kills him so yeah i think very scary very little is known about psychosis i think in terms of you know what triggers it where it comes from how he can get better as well i found that really really sad that he's just piled on medication after medication um and the way it's kind of been it's i don't know if it's right or wrong but what the doctors said said to me is that the finances they're, they're not meeting they're never going to meet because of the trauma he's had with the stroke right. so it's more of a physical than it was produced by his own yeah hormones or or therapy whether therapy could work they don't think so because it yeah. literally the finances so we can't talk the synapses back together yep. is what but to me that just seems quite lazy a lazy approach you know because he's still dosed up on antidepressants yeah um now antipsychotics um i think he takes you know 30 medications a day he's, that's a lot he's, quite, he's highly functioning though now he, you know yeah. he's, he's more aware than he's ever been he's really progressing quite well has decent conversations yeah um but yeah, I, I'm, I'm just surprised he's got through the lockdown without incident because given his paranoia and he spends all day at home watching the news or TV or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, could, you, could you imagine how what his experience could have been about yeah. this coronavirus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, we go on holiday once a year. So it's um, his treat to me, which is quite sweet. So once a year we go away together. Um, uh, well, I'm, I'm his carer when we go away together, but it's still a treat, you know, yeah. to get a free holiday. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so we, we go we go to some lovely places, but that's what he's mostly obsessed about at the moment is monitoring the red, amber, green list. Oh, really? Yep. Yeah. So he's desperate to go to Costa Rica. So last night I got a text with a photo of Costa Rica is on the red list. He's like, this is devastating. So, <laughs> but I think we've Conspiracy. got equal... I think that for both of us is a big thing for us to go on holiday and really relax and enjoy ourselves. So I just have to make sure he doesn't drink. <laughs> True. Yeah. Don't go all inclusive. Yeah. Try and avoid. No, that. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I can't can't enable him any more than I have done in the past. No, of so, course. But big learning, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's uh, yeah. It sounds like you've you've been through some some serious challenges there with with your dad, and and obviously ongoing as well to make sure that he stays sort of in that safe zone. I guess is sort of a, a way to look at it, isn't it? Um, how have you felt with with your mental health throughout that experience? I know you mentioned about the stress and being signed off, mm. but have you sort of had moments where it's been quite challenging? And you know, how how would you define that? Um, I. I became quite aware of, I think when my dad was first, you know, in hospital and yeah. I became this real busy bee, you know, I had to go to work, get to my dad, spend eight yeah. hours with him. And I'd feel really, really anxious about him being there on his own. Sure. Um, yeah. And I don't know where it comes from, but I have a real fear of that, I think. Um, I have a real fear of um, prisons. Okay. Uh, it's, it's very strange. Uh, hospitals, I think anywhere that you 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 are controlled yeah you know you can't just get up and walk out i don't know it's definitely it's isolated to those two things i couldn't bear it if a member of my family went to prison right. um and i'm exactly the same if they go to a hospital i am as you know there 
to see them, to look after them. And it's, it's really crazy, actually. I don't know where it comes from. If, sure. But I became quite aware of that when, when that happens with my dad. And it must be this anxiety to, to control and make sure people feel safe or, or, or whatever it is. But um, I, I don't know. I think it was very hard in the first instance because my dad, who was, was became no longer the guy that he was. Yeah. Um, and he was very cool, you know. Um, me and my best friends used to sit and marvel at him because he could do, he would try and teach us how to do a handstand and a double kick backwards in case we were being attacked in an alley. Oh, right. as, you, as you do, as you do, yeah. Yeah, uh, we'd be like, it's okay, we're just going to avoid the alleys. And <laughs> yeah. um, so he went from being this really cool, trendy, trendy dad to, to being, well, in a coma. And it was quite yeah. overnight, you know, life changing for us. Yeah. Um, but I think on the whole, we, we as a family, it, it brought some of us together. Okay. The, the ones that wanted to assist and help, you know, yeah. me and my aunt became very close. Me and my younger brother, who's from the second marriage, so he's my half brother. We, we became really close over, over it. Um, okay. And then the others, you know, can see who will pull themselves away from a situation, okay. which is quite interesting. But I think I learned a lot about myself and a lot about different members of my family in terms of support support networks and who's there for you when you when you actually need them. Um, you know, even my mum, she was really she was great. She came to the hospital and she was his ex-wife. You know, she, yeah, yeah. she came up to the hospital with me. She spent a lot of time at hospital and she still comes on not all the time, but once once or twice, you know, a year, she'll come with me to see my dad to check on him, to check on his health, which was nice. really quite nice. And yeah. it's nice to see them together after all those years, you know, just, and he he can still reminisce and remember. Yeah. Um, and so he's got all those memories, which must be quite frustrating for him, really, um, to have all the memories of fantastic times and, and to be so limited in what he can and can't do now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think for me, I've just, I think, I channel everything into anxiety. I've, I've had therapy before where she definitely said that I, I experience most emotions as anxiety. So right. I rarely get angry or sad. It's just, oh, what do I need to do about that? And, you know, yeah. heart racing and palpitations and until I've resolved a problem or the argument is over or, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I think so spoke before about when my thyroid um stopped working uh well i don't think it stopped completely working right. um but i'm on a really high dosage dosage of medication um and one of the side effects of that was depression right. but it all coincided at the same time as my dad had come out of hospital was being hospitalized right. so I, at first i thought i was depressed and I, re I really struggled with that because I didn't didn't tell anybody um, and I wouldn't, you know, I just, I was, I went and spoke to my doctor because I was really worried about how much I was uh, sleeping um, and I'm a workaholic so I'm happy to go to bed at midnight, wake up at five, go to work all day, do 12, 14 hours, you know, drive by my dad, check he's okay, go home um, but all of a sudden I was sleeping for hours upon hours um, and I didn't want to go and see my dad. I didn't want to try and squeeze right. in a, a night out or uh, at one point, I didn't even want to go to work. Um, and that was, well, that's about five years ago now. Um, and I was doing quite a big job across across the 
country. Um, and the doctor very quickly said, you're, you're depressed. Um, and then I read up everything about depression and became the expert. And ticked ticked boxes, yeah. you know, this is me, this is me, this is me. When I think a lot of it was down to this tiredness that I was experiencing because my thyroid wasn't working. Right, yeah. So once my thyroid got diagnosed and that, you know, my medication balanced out, I started to feel really well again. Um, so I don't know, maybe I did go through a period of depression or maybe it yeah. was just a side effect that pushed me into a yeah. period of depression. But it was, um, yeah, it was, it was quite, it was very scary time for me because I'm, mm. I'm not used to feeling low. Um, like, like I said, I, you know, I feel everything is just sort it out, do it, move on. Yeah. Um, but to feel really low and tired and not want to do anything or go anywhere. And it was for a period of a year right so, okay yeah trying to go to work and not tell people how i was feeling so how did you how did you function for that year how how did it come out was it just high functioning you were able to just get on and do the normal job or it was, it was like dragging myself through mud right i think and yeah. i felt and i spent the whole year feeling like there's i'm drowning in mud there's glass around me i can't and I was on I was on antidepressants as well, so I was given antidepressants yeah. for that year before my yep. thyroid. And when, I, when I went on that, it came off. But it was a really, a really tough year. And I remember yeah. I booked my I booked a therapist because I couldn't get therapy from the NHS, which was such a delay. And I think in nature, you know, I've been diagnosed with something. I must fix myself, so I need therapy, right? So I then went and spent a fortune on a fantastic, and she was brilliant actually, this, this therapist. But. An example of how I got through the year is I booked her at 7 a.m. every Monday morning right. to kickstart my week. Right, got you. I knew that I had to go and see her because I was paying a fortune for her. And then I thought, this one, this was my fixing. So if I go and see her, discuss everything with her, then I can get through this working week and set goals to get through that working week to then go and see her the next week. Um, so that was my own goal. So um, it got to the point, though, at the end of the year um, that I started to feel, and that's when I thought I was getting better because I started to become more curious about her. Okay. And also jealous because she had this beautiful house. Oh, really? <laughs> then you didn't, you didn't I, move I, in with her then? Yes. Yeah, so then I thought, maybe I need to become a psychotherapist <laughs> and, and buy this beautiful house. And so yeah. at that point, I thought, uh, and I'd started my thyroid medication that I realized that yeah. actually I'm feeling a hundred times better. So yeah, I, I can't really tell what that was the, I'd say it was the, the worst year ever, yeah. but not triggered by anything that I could tell you. It no. maybe it was just, maybe it was just, my mum had the same experience with her thyroid when she was exactly the same age as me. Okay. Yeah. Um, but she often has to coach me because where I'm, I, everything that happens with my mum happens with me at the same age. You know, it's been like this pattern. Yeah. Um, I got really paranoid at one point thinking, but what if I have a stroke too? You know, if I've got, and I do, I look exactly like my dad and I look exactly like my mum. So it's a bit bizarre. So I, I figured I went through this phase where I was like, if I've got this thyroid from you, what if I've got this stroke? from me and then I'm googling everything to make sure I never have a stroke yeah yeah so if I've got a, you know a blood clot or I can feel one or I think there's a pulse in my leg 
<laughs> I'll sit and rub it for about an hour thinking, no, that I'm definitely not going to have a stroke. <laughs> and, that, and that's not anything to do with anxiety at all there, right, Sarah? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess it it's all like comes out in anxiety. Yeah, definitely. Still not that. <laughs> like it is. Oh, my gosh. It's incredible. I find you fascinating, and it's incredible that you, you've you got such awareness of, you know, and obviously you've been through experiences, and you, I, I love the fact that you're talking openly about these things as well, and thank you so much for doing that. I really do genuinely mean that, because it helps people to realise that, you know, normal, everyday people who go about everyday, you know, jobs in life and doing normal things, you know, sometimes these things come up, you know, come across us and, and, and we have these struggles or these worries or these things going on. And, you know, sometimes the diagnosis is depression and we should never hide behind the thought of saying, I have this diagnosis, but of course, you know, within your situation, there was other factors in play as well, which, you know, thankfully got found and, and was able to help you to recover from those. But it is, I just, I just love listening to people tell these stories, honestly, Sarah. Um, we're coming towards the end of this, if believe it or not. You didn't think you could fill 30 minutes of talking to me, right? And you, you've done amazing. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna pass it to you just to say sort of any final thoughts or comments you want to share, maybe about what's going on for the future, some of your thoughts around that as well, if you've got any. Um, yeah, so thank you from me first, and then I'll just pass it over to you. Any thoughts, words of wisdom, anything you want to say? No, I think um, this platform is really, you know, helpful at, generating the conversation because yeah. I would never have told anybody and I and I very rarely do and, and during during the period where I was uh, diagnosed with depression I didn't open up to a single person you know not work not my family and I was very embarrassed myself yeah. um by the stigma and being quite you know I'm a workaholic I love working that's what I do is what I'm known for but it's very hard then to say to people actually I'm, I'm suffering with depression or I'm really struggling right now and um, yeah, I kept it really to myself, but potentially I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think if had I had so much awareness at that point, would I have had more conversations about it? I don't know, but I think having this conversation is really healthy for me um, because I'm finally able to talk about it. And it's, um, it is really important, I think, that when people are, when people are suffering or struggling, that they do reach out because that... I'm still to this day, I tend to only share my experiences with people that um, are sharing experiences or how they are feeling. And they ask, you know, have you felt like this before? And, and only then do I feel able to have that conversation that people yeah. know that they're not alone, that every every person, you know, does experience mental health in some, some shape or form. Um, and I think every person has a story to tell. So keep doing your podcast because I think you could get up to number a million if you carry on oh gosh i might be a bit old by then um <laughs> I, i'm you know i've got no intentions to park it so it's it's still going to continue um thank you that's very kind of you to say that as well and you know we by sharing our stories we we encourage others to do the same and that is so important in all of this and you know you've you've told your story and you've put you know you've, you've put your side across and that's nice to be able to do that and you know that's Ultimately, what I want this to be is just for you to have that chance to do it and to say things out loud to maybe the first time you said them in this sort of forum, um, but you've been brilliant. You really have. Uh, you're an amazing human, um, as I say to all the people that come on here. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's only reserved for those special ones that do uh, participate in podcast recordings with me, of course, but you are an amazing human. And yeah, I just want to wish you all the very best, Sarah, with everything and looking forward to, you know, I know you're back at work now. I know that that's, that's come back. But uh, yeah, just say a huge thank you to you. Yeah, 
Thank you very much. Thanks for You're having me. I, lo I love the background noise, of, and that's not my computer for anybody that's listening, by the way. Sorry. I think that's Probably Sarah's. Mine, yeah. That keeps making those little uh, binging announcements. Um, as I do always close these, just to say, if, just a couple of words, just to say, uh, if you are struggling, if you do need to talk to somebody, know there is always somebody out there that is, you know, there to listen. And you can reach out to Sarah or I if you've got any conversations, comments about any of the the subjects that we've covered in this uh, session, this podcast, or know that places like Samaritans exist today, safe space for you to be able to talk, you know, freely about what you're what you're going through, any of those worries or concerns. You can call one one six one two three, or you can text the shout eight five two five eight. Please do know you're not alone. You really aren't alone. Um, so please stay safe, everybody. Look after yourselves. Sarah, thank you so much. It's lovely to see you again. Look after yourself. Thank you. Thank you.